This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by Tim. Old friend, new father. That's Tim. Hello to all, and thank you for joining me, Matt, on this episode of Ear Buddies. Tim is not here today. Tim is gone. Um, he, everything is okay. Everything is great, in fact. He, well, he and his wife were blessed with a beautiful child. Um, and so... Obviously, uh, this shouldn't have to be said, but our benefits here at, uh, at Ear Buddies are excellent. And so he's on paternity leave, um, and I hope he comes back. I believe that he will, but he doesn't really need to come back for a very long time because we give the, the hosts at Ear Buddies, uh, I mean, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's months of of paternity leave um if they should so choose uh, to take it so it's just me just matt today and i well i'll be honest with you guys i uh i'm a little nervous i'm flying solo for the first time uh i don't have that that safety net that tim provides um but i hope to do a good job um, and hey, if it goes well, maybe we don't need Tim. Maybe Tim is just dead weight, just dragging me down. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. Um, I hope that I make him proud today uh, on this episode. And I hope that uh, all of you out there in, in the Army are are going to listen to this. That's, that's my hope. Since it's the end of the year, and I feel like I deserve a treat, today what I will be talking about is my favorite song and the best song in the world, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Now, I say this is my favorite song, and I also say it's the best song. The fact that it is my favorite song and also the best song just, um, it means I have very good taste, because some people have favorite songs that aren't the best song in the world, um, but for me, I don't know, there's, there's nothing like having your favorite song be the actual best song in the world. And I'm going to apologize in advance to those of you who have essentially heard this episode before, because 
I get a couple drinks into me, and this is basically what I do. I just basically do this episode to my friends and family and people who are listening um, at the at the bar, at the table, at uh, you know a house party or whatever. Um, I love to talk about it, and and I figured Tim's gone. He's not going to stop me. I don't have to run this by him. So I'm going to talk about God Only Knows. Essentially, I want to cover three points. I want to talk about the history of this song in particular and sort of the ripples it had and is still having in uh, popular music. I want to talk a little bit about how uh, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, but, you know, when we talk about the Beach Boys, we're talking about Brian Wilson. I want to talk about how nobody uh, to this day can really come close or has really come close to what they did and what Brian did um, because of how complex and and utterly original this song is. And I am going to try to not get off on a tangent on that. But uh, there's, again, no one to stop me, so we'll see what happens. And lastly, uh, and this may be incidental, um, and it's not really what I'm trying to do here, but I hope that at the end of this, you have learned a little bit about mm, sort of how to listen to music, to a song, in maybe a a slightly more sophisticated way, uh, in a slightly more engaging way. Uh, This is a great song to uh, use as a case study for listening to music like that. So let's just, uh, let's dive in. And let's see what happens. So let's begin then with a little bit of history of this song. We all know the Beach Boys. We got Brian. He uh, is, was the leader and the main songwriter. And it was sort of, I mean, it was his band. Then we have his two brothers, Dennis and Carl, who both have sadly passed on. We have Mike Love, who everybody hates. He wears a baseball cap and tours now with the Beach Boys name. A lot of uh, litigation there. That's Mike Love. And then finally we have Al Jardine, who just seems like a nice guy, as far as I can tell. But really, when we're talking about this song and when we're talking about the Beach Boys in general, we're mainly talking about Brian Wilson. In the 1960s, mid-1960s, the Beatles came out with an album called Rubber Soul. Great album. And Brian, apparently, was so blown away by this album that he, well, he claims to have written God Only Knows sort of as a, an attempt to match that standard. I guess he was stoned out of his mind and sat down, started tinkering with the piano, came up with the foundation for God Only Knows. Uh, and he did not write the lyrics, so that was a guy named Tony Asher who collaborated with Brian on many things, most uh, most notably Pet Sounds, their 1966 album, um, and God Only Knows ended up being a track on Pet Sounds. When Pet Sounds was recorded, Brian was about 24 years old, um, which is hard to think about to be able to uh to do that at that age um but he at that point had 
um, gotten famous enough and respected enough that his label essentially just gave him license to get in the studio and have fun. And that's exactly what he did uh, with Pet Sounds and with God Only Knows in particular. So, Brian wrote God Only Knows with Tony Asher. Tony wrote the lyrics, beautiful lyrics, of course, a killer opening line, um, really beautiful song um, lyrically. And interestingly, the title, God Only Knows, was... uh, was a tough one for the label because at that time putting the word God in a song was sort of considered taboo and most people um, would never have touched that. But Tony and Brian said, we're the Beach Boys and Tony Asher, we're going to give it a shot. So that worked um, and people love this song definitely for its lyrical content. But if I spend time talking about the lyrics, uh, then we will be missing the point of this song. Um, the, the song, I mean, in this case, folks, it's really about the tune. It's about the music, it's about the arrangement, it's about the production, and that's what I want to get into a little bit. So I'm going to assume that everybody in the Ear Buddies army has at least become aware uh, over their lifetime, over your lifetime, that God Only Knows is widely considered one of the greatest songs of all time. Um, and the question then is why? Why is it such a juggernaut? Why does it have the staying power that it has? Why did Paul McCartney say it was his favorite song of all time? Why is it always ending up at the top of these Rolling Stone best songs ever lists? Um, Great, great question, and I'm thrilled that you asked. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. And if you get bored, because it'll, it'll get a little bit into the weeds here, if you get bored, you can turn off the podcast and go do something else. Or you could just treat this as like ASMR. It's your buddy Matt. I'm talking to you about something that maybe you don't care that much about, but my passion and my knowledge makes it interesting. And perhaps if you need, uh, and if you're not really on board, it can help put you to sleep like a, like a gentle lullaby. That's, that's what I hope. So firstly, uh, it's important to understand that this kind of music, this kind of song, had never been... Um, attempted before, really. Um, as always, I'm a little bit wrong. I'm sure some people tried, but this is considered the a real watershed moment for Baroque pop, chamber pop, and that term means uh, pop music that is being played with um, orchestral instruments, with French horns and violins and uh, cellos and organs and sleigh bells and all of these instruments that aren't really native to the rock landscape. So Brian was taking a real risk here. Um, He was coming off the back of a number of very successful albums. He was very famous. Uh, The Beach Boys were a big deal. And he was trying something that they hadn't tried before. A very important factor in this song and in pet sounds as a whole 
is a group of session musicians called the Wrecking Crew. I think we have uh, briefly mentioned them on a couple eps back in the day, but the Wrecking Crew was a group of studio musicians who played on mm, just about every L.A.-based um, album in the 60s. This crew was made up of a bunch of extremely talented musicians. Uh, they had Hal Blaine playing drums. They had Carol Kay playing bass. They had a bunch of uh, string players and uh, piano players. And they basically would just go around to studios in L.A. and play um, on whatever the, the next hit was going to be. So that's the Wrecking Crew. For this particular song, the credits are kind of interesting. Um, there's only three Beach Boys actually singing. There's Carl Wilson, Brian's brother, singing lead, and then Brian and Bruce Johnson, who was sort of Brian's uh, touring replacement when Brian decided to stop touring. Um, so those are the three vocals that you're hearing on, on God Only Knows. And then, of course, we've got Hal on the drums, Carol on the bass, um, Someone's playing a harpsichord, someone's playing an accordion, a uh, French horn, sort of classic uh, Baroque-type instruments. But then there's also uh, someone playing plastic orange juice cups um, and sleigh bells. So there's, there are even elements in there that um, weren't necessarily native to Baroque music either. So once again, um, we see Brian taking yet another risk here, um, and kind of making up his own thing. It's also worth mentioning here that Brian was one of the first record producers to use the studio as an instrument in and of itself. Uh, he was pioneering these new technologies and new methods and uh, techniques, and um, interestingly, his one of his musical heroes, I guess would be the term, was a guy named uh, Phil Spector, who you may recall from our um, K-pop Motown episode. He is a convicted murderer, was a convicted murderer. He died in January of this year. He killed a woman. But for all his flaws, he was a very good record producer, and he uh, developed something called the Wall of Sound, which... um, is a studio technique in which a lot of reverb and a lot of uh, multiples of the same instruments are used to basically just make, I mean, well, a wall of sound so that the discrete instruments weren't necessarily heard, but it just made this massive, lush blend uh, of, of music. And that's what Brian um, was trying to do um, with a lot of his production. He actually was obsessed with the song Be My Baby by the Ronettes, which uh, Phil had co-written and produced, and the Wrecking Crew also played on.
Ryan, when recording God Only Knows, used a similar technique. He had all the musicians playing together and then overdubbed it and just made a really beautiful wall of sound. So that's all well and good, and we're very happy for Brian and his talent. But there were a lot of songs uh, that used this wall of sound, and they were not uh, anywhere near the the level of God Only Knows. So now we have to look into the actual structure of the song. Um, Brian, you know, he was obsessed with Be My Baby, but Be My Baby, while it's a, a bit more complex chordally and structurally than the classic uh, doo-wop 60s four-chord progression, um, it really, it can't hold a candle to God Only Knows. So why can't it hold a candle to God Only Knows? When am I going to get to the point? All right, okay, here I go. God Only Knows is written in a way that has a very weak tonal center. And I'm not going to do a whole theory thing here because this is not... This is not a homework assignment. This is Ear Buddies, where we're all friends and we just want to have a good time and learn some stuff. But let me, let me do this for you. I'm going to play the verse into the chorus piano part so you can hear isolated what is going on with those chords. And I hope it blows your mind. Now, that should have blown your mind even without all of the production around it and without the strings and the sleigh bells and the vocal because even with just the piano there, just the chords, um, that is remarkable. The fact that that works is sort of ridiculous. And the fact that it works as a good song, as a great song, is also pretty ridiculous. When we talk about the tonal center of a song, we're talking about something that is actually not that complicated, and you sort of intuitively know what I'm talking about. The tonal center is, for lack of a more complicated term, it's the key of the song. It's the where the song sort of lives. And when you come back to that, that root, to the center, you feel like, not to be romantic, but it, you feel like you're coming home. Right? And, and you, you want to, your ear is trained to expect the song to come home, to resolve, to have a satisfying, um, well, ending for sure, but also to make the chords around that, that tonal center in context um, to have them all make sense. So let me quickly here offer an example uh, of what I mean by the tonal center. Um, so there's some context there, and you sort of know what I'm talking about. This is the Beach Boys' first hit, Surfing USA. If everybody had a nose across the USA, then everybody'd be surfing like California. You'd see them wearing their baggies, Warachi sandals, 
bushy, bushy blonde hairdo Serving USA You'll catch him serving So that last piano chord I played there is E-flat major, and that is the key of Surfin' USA. And Surfin' USA, like most pop songs, just stays in that one key. But you can hear at the end of that phrase, playing that E-flat major, uh, that feels like, uh, it feels satisfying. It feels like there's a resolution. It comes home. I'll do one more example just to really push this point home. Uh, In pop songs, when there is a key change, usually, well, some people call it a truck driver's key change because you just kind of shift the gear and you go up half a step or more often a whole step um, and it the song then feels different. The most famous example, of course, is Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. So right there, that's a key change. Again, not deeply complicated. You know it when you feel it. Uh, But at the end of that song, uh, the center, the tonal center, is different than it was at the beginning. And often that's, that's very telegraphed and you're able to really feel that shift. And the thing about God Only Knows is that that doesn't happen. It has a very, very weak tonal center. And by that I mean it's a little bit in the key of E, and it's a little bit in the key of A, and you can't tell. You don't know that this song is kind of all over the place because it is so cohesive, and it gets to where it's going so perfectly, and it comes back from where it was so perfectly in a way that is absolutely brilliant. And hearing those chords, I'm not going to go through all of the uh, you know, the diminished chords and the augmented chords and the flatted fifths and all these things. But to be able to do that so seamlessly is a remarkable feat. And here, briefly, I am going to come to my point about why no one yet has been uh, like the Beach Boys or like Brian Wilson. Because you think about the Beach Boys and you think about their lovely harmonies Maybe you think about their early surf rock guitar, the California sound. Maybe you love pet sounds like I do, and and, uh, you think about the um, production and the Baroque pop aspects of it. Maybe you think about how Mike Love is such a jerk, and he shouldn't be wearing his own merch. You don't wear your own merch. You can't wear a hat that says the Beach Boys if you're in the Beach Boys. Anyway, it's fascinating that all of those things, um, they, you know, they make up the Beach Boys in sort of the cultural imagination. But the, what makes them uh, inimitable is the fact that Brian was playing this kind of music, writing this kind of music, and he had an, uh, an innate sense of how to do this and how to move between keys and move between chords and get to where he was going in a way that made perfect sense and made beautiful pop music. Again, like the song, God Only Knows, is not even three minutes long, right? But 
the fact that he did that and was able to do that, not just with God Only Knows, but with a number of his, his other songs, um, that's the secret sauce. Like that is something that has not, to the best of my knowledge, been recreated. You can, um, you can layer harmonies. You can play with a group of 20 session musicians. You can do all these things. But if you don't have that bizarre magic of, of being able to just float around through different keys and different homes, different tonal centers, then you're not really going to hold a candle to Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and in particular, since we're talking about God Only Knows, God Only Knows. To very briefly, I hope, get into how he was able to move through chords like that, I'm going to play another example. It's the same example from before, but this time I've added a bass line. And it's very important to listen to that bass line because when you are playing the bass, I don't know if we have bass players in the audience. I sure hope so. Um, but when you're playing the bass, you're usually playing the root. You're, you're playing uh, what that chord is built on. Brian rarely did that, especially um, in, his, in his later years with, with the Beach Boys. He used something called slash chords. And you don't need to look that up. I'll tell you what it is. Basically, you pick one of the notes in the chord and you play that in the bass. And when you're doing that, it makes a lot of sense, a lot more sense than it would otherwise if you were just playing the root. And you're able to um, build a foundation, build a backbone for that chord progression. So now I'm just going to play that piano example again, but this time I've added a bass. I want you to pay close attention to what the bass is doing because it's not doing something very common, and yet in your ears it will make perfect sense. So what you're hearing there in the bass, um, which Carol Kay originally performed and did a fantastic job, much better than I just have, but what you're hearing is those slash chords, uh, and you hear even before the, the chorus, the God Only Knows part, the bass starts descending, it starts walking down and just going very easily uh, down the fretboard. I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you And then we end up exactly where we want to be. That first chord in the chorus makes total sense. It's not really home, because this song doesn't really have a home in that sense, but it comes into it perfectly and then the little walk up into the verse again the ba, 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 ba. 
it lands exactly right. It tees up for the verse to fit in perfectly there. And this would not have happened, even with those beautiful piano chords, if the bass is just playing the root, then it makes a lot less sense. It's a lot more scattered. It doesn't really feel cohesive if the bass is just playing the natural root of those particular chords. But as it is, there's, there's nothing to complain about, right? You, there's no jarring aspect of this song. And finally, my, my last note on this song, uh, at least as far as the composition goes, is the end, the three voices, it's uh, again Brian, Bruce, well actually it's not even Carl, Carl went home that day and Brian and Bruce just sang those parts. Only three voices, we all know it, sounds beautiful. God only knows what I'd be That is a very classic, uh, well, it's a classic classical music technique. It's called a coda, right? You hear in, in rounds, like uh, row, row, row your boat. You have these voices coming in at different times and, and singing the same words and often the same melody. In this case, the melody is varied, but those three voices uh, make such a gorgeous harmony because where they all start in relation to each other, they build the chord. And those chords happen to, well, of course, <laughs> coincide exactly with uh, what's going on around them. And this was a very, very unusual thing to do in pop music at the time and definitely still now. Like, you're not really hearing vocal codas at the end of anything. So this was... I mean, this is largely, in addition to the instrumentation, uh, this is what makes it Baroque pop, because that is a very Baroque classical technique. Um, and I don't, I don't know if Brian had studied the masters or if he came up with that on his own, but suffice to say, it absolutely works and hasn't really been done since, at least not in any uh, hugely visible way. So all of those elements together obviously uh, make the song what it is. Uh, I could continue, I could go into more of the production and give, you know, chord names and things like that, but some of you may have been ASMR to sleep by now, which is great, which is fine, and I hope, I hope you have a lovely rest. And we all know that this podcast, at its best, ought to be between 45 and 50 minutes long, so I'm not going to go any more wild than I already have. But hopefully having heard all of that, um, or had it beamed into your subconscious while you're in deep REM sleep, hopefully that will help a little bit in just listening to music. Um, I think, as I said before, it's a very, it's a very good song for sort of a a music theory, pop music theory case study, because 
if you can look at the elements, if you can listen to the elements of these particular songs, any particular song, it's fascinating to, to kind of dissect it and to look at the bones and look at the tendons and see what joins it, see how it's built, see how it works. Um, and I mean, God Only Knows is the best song of all time. So it's a great place to start. If you have further questions, if you would like to know more about uh, Brian Wilson's studio techniques, or if you would like me to list for you the rest of the names of the Wrecking Crew, or if you would like to just chat about Mike Love and what he's up to, of course, feel free to DM EarBuddies at EarBuddies underscore pod or our official website, which I forget the exact name of, but it's on the internet. Um, and I just, I really hope that this has been either edifying or very calming for everyone in the army. It's something that I have wanted to, to talk about on a hot mic for a while. I am indulging myself because it's the end of the year. We've all worked hard. I deserve a little treat. And if I can't talk to my buddies about a phenomenal song, then what is the point of this podcast? That's, that's where I'll leave you. Ear Buddies will be back in just one moment. This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by, that's right, Tim. My friend and yours, it's Tim. He couldn't be here today. I know he wanted to be, but in life, you make choices. Sometimes you make sacrifices. And Tim is a proud new father to a bouncing baby child. That's all I'll say. I don't want people to know any more than that. Um, I know Tim likes to keep his, his private life private and his pod life public. So I'm not going to disclose any sort of identifying information about this child, except for to say that I have seen the blessed child, and it's a good one. It's a solid, solid kid, and I'm very pleased with Tim for just going out there and making it happen. How many of us in the Army can say that we've done that? How many of us can say that we have a child? Not me. That's a little glimpse into my life. I don't have any kids. Um... Maybe someday, maybe not. I don't know. The pod takes up a lot of time. The pod sort of is, for me, my my baby. And I know that it is for Tim as well. Uh, so he sort of now has two babies, two big priorities. I mean, his wife, of course, but two big priorities. Um, and I just want to assure all of the listeners that... Tim loves you all. I mean, he's sponsoring this episode. He he was the angel investor for this one. He put up the cash uh, and said, 
this is this is for our dreams, buddy. This is for the pod. Let's let's keep it going. One more week. Uh, and for him to do that with how how busy his life is and being a part of the miracle of birth and now fatherhood, uh, I just there's there's not another guy like Tim around. And I'm just so thrilled to have him with me, not now, but with me in general, as a partner, as a friend, with this podcast. Um, it's been a real dream of ours for, well, as long as we've known each other, to just to just kind of talk to each other, you know, like friends do, like buddies do. Uh, and if we can get a little scratch on the side, a little bit of a little bit of green, a little bit of USD through the merch store, or perhaps later on iHeartRadio picks us up, or, or Sirius uh, XM, or Spotify, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's not about the destination for us. It's about the journey. And, hey, it's about the tunes, isn't it? So, Tim, if you're listening which I know you are, because you have to, uh, from myself and from the whole Ear Buddies army, just want to say congratulations, Happy New Year, and uh, excited, excited to keep this one going. We never miss a Monday, and even though you're a dad now, I know that won't change. Tim, old friend, new father. It's Tim. Hello again, gang. It's me, Matt. Uh, I'm back just like I promised I would be. I will never let you down. For this final segment, uh, I'll be honest, I don't really feel comfortable doing one of Tim's and my classic bits on my own. Um, I have a lot of faith in myself as a, a local wit and a conversationalist and sort of a, a budding comic, but I work better, like Abbott and Costello... Like Sonny and Cher, I work better in a duo, specifically the duo called Ear Buddies, in which the other guy is Tim, who's not here, because his wife had a baby. But look, I thought it might be fun to do just, I guess it's a palate cleanser, something a little bit warm and, and sweet for the, the end of this terrible year that we've all shared together. Um, I'll just dive right in. We all know that here at Ear Buddies, uh, we have a vested interest in presidential dogs like Bo Obama, may he rest in peace, and like uh, Champ, Champ Biden, may he also rest in peace. Um, but there's, there's great news on that front, and I'd like to share that with you all now. 
The news just broke recently that Joseph Robinette Biden and his wife, and I guess maybe Hunter lives with them in the White House, I'm not sure, they've added a new member to their family. It's a puppy, a German Shepherd dog named Commander. He has come into their lives to, um, well, I'm not sure why. And I guess that's something I, I would like to sort of think about as, as an Ear Buddies community. Um, because I've, I've seen a lot on Twitter and on the internet in general that saying things like, oh, Major, Major Biden is going to love his new friend, Commander. They're going to have such a good time together. They're going to hang out. They're going to chew on sticks. They're going to attack criminals who climb over the White House fence. Um, but look, that's, that's uh, not the case. I hope that you're not hearing this here for the first time, but I will just rip this Band-Aid right off. Major Biden is no longer Major Biden. He's just a regular civilian dog now named Major. Uh, Joe gave Major away to friends, is what I'm hearing. Um, that may be true. I hope it's true. It turns out Major, his behavioral issues could not be reconciled. Uh, as we all recall, he was biting some people. He was nipping at dignitaries and uh, collapsing global trade systems because of it. He was a, he was a liability, guys. He was a, he was a major liability, and he, he could not stay. Not, I know we all get upset, especially around Christmas time, when you, you have a dog and, and it, or a pet of any kind, and it doesn't work out like you thought, and maybe, maybe people just want to try something else, or they don't want to go through all the work to, to change or fix this pet, and they just give it away. They just get rid of it. And, yeah, I don't think that's a good practice, but if you are the president of the United States and your old dog died and your other one is just being a terrible dog, riddle me this. What do you do? You get a new dog. You get a new, better dog. Okay? That's, that's his right as president, and it's, it's a cute little puppy. Its name is, once again, Commander, um, which is fine, I guess, but that doesn't really... The context is taken away by Major leaving, so why name him Commander? Anyway, that's, again, that's Joe's decision. But um, I guess this is less of a palate cleanser than just sort of something I wanted to get off my chest, but I think that's all right. Once again, Tim uh, can't really pull rank on me here, so I think it's probably fine. Um, but I just, I just wanted to let everyone know about Commander Biden, and I would ask that in the new year, we all offer up our thoughts and our prayers that 
uh, Commander doesn't go down the dark path that Major went down. Um, and of course, of course, we all hope the best for Major, hope he can get a handle on himself um, and, and sort of learn how to live in the world because clearly the White House was not the place. And Major, I get it, buddy. I would not, I would be stressed out if I was living at the White House. I would be, I would attack everyone who came through the Rose Garden, guaranteed. So don't feel bad about that. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess I just wanted to extend my congratulations and my sympathies and my hopes for, um, a better, a better run through this time for Joe, uh, and all of his canine affiliates. So that's, that's it for me, guys. That's the last episode of 2021. It has been quite the year, and I I thank you on behalf of Tim and myself for sticking with us, for listening on Spotify and the Apple Podcasts app. Uh, I really am excited for the new year. We've got a lot of great topics in store, and just uh, this is one of those segments that could really go on for, for a while, but... Just uh, thank you all, and I, I wish you all the best in the new year. It's not going to be great, but you got it. We, we're going to hang in there, and uh, we'll see what happens. So from Tim and my family, uh, families to yours, you and yours, I hope that your holiday season stays okay, and that you ring in the new year with joy and hope in your beautiful, beautiful little hearts. Talk to you later, guys. 